What is happening, everyone? Happy UFC pay-per-view fight week, UFC 284 on Saturday. I'm Colby Daniels, along with Will Brewer. Will, how are you, my friend? Good, man. There's a, uh, there's a lot going on this week. You know, there's there's LeBron about to make their scoring record. We got the Super Bowl this weekend, but my mind, a, a big chunk of it, of, of my mind is going to be geared towards what's going on this Saturday when number one faces number two pound for pound from Perth, Australia. It's going to be bananas. I can't wait for it. There's not many better skilled fights that you can make. This one takes the cake for me. I cannot yeah. wait for this fight. You would know better than me in terms of the history of this sport. Is there a more overlooked, high-profile fight out there than, than what this currently is? Because I feel like this fight is massively undervalued. Yeah, I, I would I would use the word disrespected. This fight has been completely disrespected by the promotion. Um, I think uh, when you look back on history and there's a fight of this magnitude, it's normally always build as such i mean even the ones that aren't let's just look at two former uh super fights that were champion versus champion uh nunez versus cyborg that that didn't have the notoriety of a mcgregor or alvarez you know because uh that was champion versus champion but that's kind of the biggest superstar in the sport yeah. cyborg and nunez that's a major fight in women's mma it wasn't massively built but the promotion lets you know, like, this is the bantamweight champion taking on the featherweight champion. Cyborg hasn't lost in the X amount of years. Amanda Nunes beat Ronda Rousey. So it was billed like that. But this Islam and, and Volkanovski isn't, isn't getting any of that. And then I'll give you another one. A champion who was very much underappreciated. Stipe Miocic fought Daniel Cormier, their first fight. I mean, Daniel Cormier has come off that rivalry with John Jones. But that fight was billed as the light heavyweight champions take on the heavyweight champion. Super fight. Yeah. This... Islam and Volk isn't getting any of that. And it's, right. it's just crazy to me because even though those fights, Stipe and DC and Cyborg and Nunez, those were great fights on paper. But this one, I think, surpasses both of those in terms of the stylistic matchup. Um, these guys have been dominant, just dominant. We've barely seen them face any adversity in the octagon. Of course, we've seen Islam lose, but he has been so dominant that people barely even remember that random fight that he lost in his second UFC fight or his first UFC fight, whichever one it was. So yeah, exactly. this fight is massively disrespected. Number one versus number two pound for pound, the lightweight champion in the glamour division of the UFC taking on Volkanovski, the featherweight champion who's been dominant beat Max Holloway, a fan favorite three times. I mean, I think I did a better job selling this fight just now than the UFC yeah. has. And they've, and they've had two months to do it. So it's just crazy. Yeah. It, it's, it's a very odd thing. It almost makes me, Wonder if if it's getting like UFC 270 treatment to some degree. Um, I, I I can't make sense of it because I always feel like one of my gauges for how much the UFC is putting into hyping the fight is can I find people just in mainstream sports media talking about a fight card or fighters or you know can I find that outside of my normal weekly outlets right and if I can't then that tells you everything you need to know if you start to get like and I don't listen to Stephen A. Smith. I don't watch Stephen A. Smith. I don't watch a lot of that, like, hot take bullshit out there that's just complete nonsense. But, like, the example here is if Stephen A. Smith is talking about the UFC, then you know that the UFC is making a big push to promote what is a massive fight, right? And whether I want to see can... him or not, when Stephen A. Smith is talking about the UFC, it's out there whether you want to see it or not, right? Because he's that big. Like, on a fight like this, there should be more of those types of people 
talking about it. And the fact that there's not tells you that there's not a major push to promote this thing the way that it should be promoted, which is in the biggest promotion in mixed martial arts, the number one pound for pound fighter versus the number two pound for pound fighter, both guys champions. And it's just kind of like, okay, that's wild. Yeah. To the point where Dana White's sitting in a press conference and he doesn't remember the lightweight champion's name. Uh, like that's my that's mind boggling to me. That's that kind of offended me a little bit. Like I, I'm a big hardcore fan of this sport. You're the promoter of the biggest MMA promotion in the world, and you don't even know who the light the lightweight champion's name. Like, come on now. If that was Conor McGregor, you would have <laughs> said Conor McGregor. If it was Michael Chandler, you would have said Michael Chandler. Israel Adesanya, you would have been loud and proud about about those guys. But instead, you're like, um, what's what's that? Uh. Like, come on, man. That's that's just so disrespectful. Yeah. And then to your point about the about the national outlets, I can think back to just last year, and and I can remember Kamaru Usman going on first take talking about his fight with Leon Edwards coming up. I can remember Israel Adesanya going on first take, facing off with Stephen A. Smith, uh, with the title, <laughs> like for for no reason. Yeah. But that guy sure. has no idea what he's talking about with MMA. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but when he's talking about it, it's it's for a reason because they're they're pushing it to big audience to casuals, right? Absolutely. And so my, my question now is, are we going to see Islam or Volk on on first take or on any of the big ESP? I mean, we saw I don't know if you've caught this, but on DC and RC, DC's show on ESPN, they had a little face face off where they both were on uh, were online at the same time and they're going back and forth. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I hope that's not the the only thing that we get. I hope that they go on these big platforms like First Take, like other um, shows on ESPN, and get this fight promoted. I mean, there's there's no reason why this fight isn't because, like, c- come on, man, this is like we're like we're trying to get through everyone's head. This is number one versus number two, pound for pound. Like you don't, those aren't labels that you just throw around to anybody. They've proven that they're that they're that good. Uh, they've dominated their divisions, and they deserve to be promoted as such. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, DCRC is an MMA show, right? Like if it's not hitting the non MMA media outlets where it's like, you know, mainstream sports media where they're going to talk about all the big events, regardless of what sport, if this one isn't hitting those platforms, then, you know, it's, it's, it's because they're not being pushed. Now, I, I, I also wonder how much of that maybe goes back to Islam Mahashev, not the most exciting fighter in terms of the fighting style, right? He's not out there just knocking dudes' heads off like Francis Ngadu. Same thing for Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, stylistically, these two guys aren't, like, they're not going to put together a highlight reel that people are going to watch, like, a billion times on YouTube, right? They're also not on the microphone, Conor McGregor style or Colby Covington style, saying things that are attention-grabbing type of things. So I wonder how much of the lack of promotion from the UFC's side of this is because they feel like maybe it's a lost cause because you don't have an over-the-top personality, you don't have an attention-getter personality, and stylistically, you don't have two guys that are putting together highlight packages. Yeah, I think that's got maybe a little bit to do with it, but there's literally no attempt no attempt to even try to promote this thing as, as it should be promoted. I mean, if I'm a promoter, I'm using Khabib's name because he's one of the biggest superstars that you, the UFC's ever had. I'm using his name. Like, Islam Mahashev is Khabib's protege. He's He has a style just like Khabib. He's dominant just like him. Uh, he's he's coached by him. This is basically Khabib's little brother. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm using that uh, as a selling tool. With Volk, everybody knows who Max Holloway is. I mean... He's a big superstar in the world of MMA, and and he he's someone who branches out just a little bit past 
the uh, the casual fans or past the hardcore fans into the casual area. I'm using Max Holloway's name, and I'm saying like Alexander Volkanovsky outclassed this dude uh, three times in a row. I mean, I, I, sure, the second fight was really close, but I'm saying Volkanovsky beat this guy three times, and he's the he's the featherweight king, number one pound for pound fighter in the world. I'm I'm driving that into everyone's head, yeah. and regardless of what their styles is. Just the fact that this is the number one and number two guys pound for pound, I'm trying to drive that into everyone's head. And at, at least I'm getting people to watch. If you if you aren't impressed with their styles when you're watching, at least I got you to watch. But just not even trying to get people to watch. I mean, and then when when these guys are trying to ask for, for more money or when they're trying to negotiate their contracts or whatever – the, the UFC is going to say, well, you're not you're not selling any pay-per-views. Well, can, well, of course not, because you're not promoting me at, <laughs> at all. And I'm in I'm in one of the biggest fights that, uh, in this company's history, it, as it, it should be promoted that way. But it's not. It's yeah. number one versus number two power for power. We're both champions. How is it not promoted that way? Yeah. I mean, we had this conversation a week ago. When you look at the next four pay-per-view main events, you have number one versus number two this weekend. And then the next three Pay-per-view main events are going to be, in no particular order, John Jones the Real Gone, which is going to be pr- everywhere, right? That thing is going to be everywhere. Leon Edwards' Kamaru Usman trilogy fight, Israel Adesanya, Alex Pereira. Like, I'm sure, like, guaranteed, the majority of people out there would put this fight fourth of that group in terms of which one they would want to see the most. That doesn't make it the least important, but I guarantee you, over the next four pay-per-view fight cards will... To my point about mainstream sports media, all three of those next three main events are going to be out there and in your face, whether you're an MMA fan or not. One thousand percent. I mean, the return of John Jones, everyone's going to be talking about that. We'll probably get John Jones on first take. We'll probably get Israel Adesanya <laughs> back on first take. We'll probably get Kamaru Usman back on first take. We'll get all those guys uh, on first take, and and rightfully so because those guys are big superstars. And I won't watch any of those, but yeah. <laughs> but but rightfully so those guys all deserve to 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 be a part of the mainstream media uh, i mean those guys deserve all the notoriety that they're going to get but to to suggest that volk and islam don't deserve that when they're yeah. the top guys in the sport i mean th- that's one thing that i didn't like about how mighty mouse was treated because he was clearly far and away the number one power for pound guy in the world with just racking up title defenses and, and being spectacular at that flying triangles and flying arm bars and all this different stuff he was doing, but he wasn't promoted that way just because he was small. He, he, he was talking about his fight purses. And I mean, it was just like, I mean, like, I think it was yeah. like 200 and 200, something small for someone who should be the number one power for pound fighter in the world, just because he isn't loud and everything. He, he let his fighting do the talking. Both these guys, Volk and Islam, let their fights do the talking. And if they're not very good salesmen, as the, the promotion that the UFC is, they should be promoting this. Like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this again. Number one versus number two. Alexander Volkanovski is fighting in front of his home country, his fans. This is home for him, and he's trying to dethrone one of the most dominant forces that we've seen in the last, I don't know, five, ten years. I mean, Islam is a dominant force, uh, the most dominant force we've seen since Khabib. This is his uh, Khabib's basically his protege. It's I mean, there's just so much out there for this fight to be sold as, and it's just not, and it's just it's it's crazy to me to think. But these the rest of these fights, Leon and Kamaru, John and Cyril, Israel and Pajeda, those are big fights, and they'll be and they'll be promoted as such. But this Islam and Volk fight is just as big, if not bigger, because we've got champion versus champion. <laughs> we've yeah. got champion versus champion, number one versus number two. This is just as important as all those fights. Yeah. I mean, I agree with your point about Mighty Mouse, 
I would I would say, like to to hammer home the point that we're making about this fight, like even with the Mighty Mouse situation, he was by far the best. You know, he was maybe a victim of being so much better than everybody in a division that, I mean, he was so much better than everybody. Will that like that division almost went away, <laughs> right? Like yeah. he was so far ahead of the rest of the group that like there was a point where they were debating on cutting the flyweight division. Like, Volk isn't in that position. Volk just had a trilogy fight with a future UFC Hall of Famer and a superstar in Max Holloway. Islam Makashev is the champion of the best and, I think, most high-profile in terms of spotlight division in the sport. Like, Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Tony Chandler. Like, massive names. This division that Islam currently reigns is not the flyweight division where he's just on top, and and regardless of, you know, again, I, I'm giving Mighty Mouse all the flowers in the world. He was the GOAT. But, like, this isn't even a division where it's, like, this guy and then a bunch of people where it's, like, you're even questioning how good the division is. Like, we know this division is full of killers, and they're fighting for the 155 belt. It's absolutely insane to, your, to also help out with the promotion part of this aspect. Alexander Volkanovsky's 25-1 overall. He's won 22 in a row. He's 12-0 in the UFC. The last time he lost was in May of 2013 to a guy named Corey Nelson. 2013, the last time Volkanovski lost an MMA fight. At 170 pounds. And that was at welterweight. <laughs> like, what? He's currently welter, at 170. He's currently the 145 champion, and he's about to fight at 155. So, again, this isn't like a, I've never fought at this weight class before. And then Islam, no big deal. He's only 23-1. and one. He's on an 11-fight win streak. He's fought 13 times in the UFC. He's 12 and 1 in the UFC. His last loss was in 2015. Like, this is a massive matchup, and I can't wait for it on Saturday. Yeah, there's there's been nobody that's proven that they're better than Islam and, and Volk. Like Volk lost 10 years ago to a guy that was easily probably 40 pounds heavier than him, had a huge size advantage, but Volk has proven that he's better than so many guys. Islam had had to be knocked unconscious, but nobody has proven that they're just that they're just better than Islam. Um, this fight is is so tightly contested, and I know the odds don't really suggest that, but this but this fight is so tightly contested um, that any mistake that either one of these guys make could cost them the fight. Um, it, it's going to be a game of chess. Like who's going to be who's going to be the smarter fighter out there? Who's going to be the one with the with the championship IQ? There's so many questions that go into this. This isn't just a this isn't as easy as Islam's going to take him down, choke him out, or or, or Volk is just going to dance circles around him and and, get, and fight to a decision. There's so there's so many layers to this fight that need to be broken down, and then just the just the the dominance that both those guys displayed, and the fact that these guys may not look dominant, like the, they're going to be fighting against someone who's equally as dominant as <laughs> as yeah. the other guy. So just that aspect of it just makes this fight so intriguing to me, and I I'm with you, man. I, I can't wait for it. My excitement level for this fight alone. Is out of ten. The rest of the card is what is, is what it is. But this fight in particular, I am geeked for. I'm glad you said the rest of the card because literally the next thing out of my mouth was going to be UFC 284 or UFC 270. Will. I mean, just this fight alone, for how great Francis and Surreal it was as a stylistic matchup. I think this fight by Islam and Alex being number one versus number two pound for pound takes the. I mean, it, it takes overtakes everything that 270 brought to the table. Um, take this fight off of it, you're looking at a fight night. A glorified <laughs> fight night, really. Yeah. 
That, I mean, that's all we're looking at. Yeah. We, you got uh, Josh Emmett and Yair Rodriguez, which would be a, a five-round main event on a fight night. Jack Della Maddalena against Randy Brown would be a, a, a would be a good co-main event, I guess. Alonzo Minifield, Jimmy Crute. Like, take Islam and Volk off this card. We're looking at a, a yeah. apex fight night. <laughs> 100%. I, I would say that this is the next closest thing we've had to UFC 270, right? And that's that's so sad. That's, that's so sad because, well, I, I, I will give this, I'll say this at least about 284. We were supposed to get Robert Whitaker and Paulo Costa, right. which that fight got scrapped. We were supposed to get Dan Hooker on this card, which may have been against Jalen Turner. We don't know, but that fight was scrapped. Uh, I think we were supposed to get Ty Tuivasa on this card, but he wanted to fight earlier. And there was one, there's one more fight that, uh, that we were supposed to get, um, Oh, Kai Car France. We were supposed to get Kai Car France oh, okay. and Alex Perez on this card. So we've had a lot of cancellations. So there's a, there was going to be a lot of s- solid fights, which would have made yeah. this card a ton better. But we're here now. It's it is what it is. But yeah, this is the closest thing that we've gotten to 270. But the only thing that makes this card better than 270 is Vulcan Islam for yeah. sure. All right, before we hit last week's fight card and jump forward to UFC 284 picks, Conor McGregor is officially on the slate. Versus Michael Chandler. They're going to be the coaches of the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. Sign me up, Will Brewer. Sign me up. I can't wait for this. Man, I'm glad that he's finally back. And this is a this is a fight that checks all the boxes in terms of his return. I mean, if he, if he's looking to be a champion, which he, Conor McGregor's always got his name out there in terms of the title picture, all he needs is one win. And Michael Chandler has been has had fight of the year, fight of the year, uh performance of the year, knockout of the year, all this different stuff. Michael Chandler is the right guy to, 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 to do this with, to dance with. Um, and uh, in terms of the, of the ultimate fighter itself, Connor and Michael Chandler, I mean, I'm sure at first we'll see a lot of pleasantries and whatever, but I think there's just going to become, there's going to come just one moment where Connor McGregor is just going to out of nowhere, just clown him out of nowhere. And then everything's just going to shift. And then we'll see Michael Chandler not be so, you know, so polite and respectful. We might see Michael Chandler get outside of himself a little bit. And that's just to, you know, sell this fight. Uh, not that this fight needs to be sold any more than it will be. But, yeah, those those two guys, I think it'll be gold on the Ultimate Fighter. It'll be on ESPN as well. Um, we're looking at a, a big-time pay-per-view buys for this fight. And then the fight itself is going to be massive uh, amounts of entertainment. Yeah. Conor McGregor, we know what he brings to the table. And then Michael Chandler, uh, we've seen... Over, the, over his UFC run when he brings to the table. I mean, we know how good of a wrestler he is, but he doesn't even use it when he's in there. So if this is going to be a striker's delight, I mean, we're going to see a yeah. war, and it's going to be fun. I don't necessarily care whether we get, like, the McGregor that was all nice and buddy-buddy with Dustin Poirier in the second McGregor-Poirier fight or the, you know, the Conor McGregor that we got in the third Poirier fight, like, on a normal basis. But when you throw tough into the equation it's a different story, right? Like, I, I don't have a preference whether Connor's going to be nice or an ass leading up to a fight, but if he's going to be on the ultimate fighter and he's going to be a coach, give me crazy Connor every day of the week, right? Like, if we're going to do this, then I want the, the craziness that we've seen on the internet for the last year, uh, and I also want to see how Michael Chandler feeds off that because Michael Chandler is always pretty complimentary to everybody, no matter if they have something nice or bad to say about him, right? He's always pretty respectful 
Uh, and, you know, like Michael Chandler's the kind of guy that'll be like, well, I'm sorry that he feels that way. I, I think he's a really good fighter and this is going to be a tough battle and I'm looking forward to challenging myself and I think I'm the best in the world. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I hope we get full crazy Connor and I want to see if Michael Chandler ever, ever bites the cheese. I think it's it's going to be, I'm not going to say it's going to be simple, but I think Connor's going to be poking at him. Yeah. And then... Chandler's going to try to be respectful on these replies. And, you know, of course, Connor thinks that. He thinks I'm a, uh, I'm a small, uh, short, whatever, whatever Connor says. Uh, and then he's going to try to be respectful, but then Connor's going to say something else. He's just going to keep poking at him. He's just going to keep poking at him. And then eventually, Michael Chandler's going to have enough. And then we'll see the other side of Michael Chandler. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't think we'll see uh, many pleasantries from Connor McGregor, especially uh, he knows he's trying to sell this fight. And he yeah. knows what being nice did for him last time he fought Dustin Poirier. It's, it served him no good at all. So, yeah, I, I fully expect to see uh, Crazy Connor. I fully expect him to be walking into the gym with his um, million-dollar suits on and with his gaiters on and the, the watches and the chains and all that. Michael Chandler's going to be in there with the with the tough jersey on, just being a, a, a good citizen. And then Conor McGregor's just going to be clowning him, and he's going to be poking at him, and then eventually Michael Chandler's just going to snap because he can't take it anymore. Yeah, like I, I envision like the face off, like Chandler's going to be shaking his head like, yeah, we're going to do it. like he's going to be hyped on like face offs and things like that. But like in terms of verbal exchanges, is he ever going to say anything that like we can be like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope so. I, I would love to see him somewhat like get into those types of uh, of I, I don't I don't, I, don't I don't know if we'll see that. Like I know we, we I know. might. But like, you know how they have the individual interviews. I think Michael Chan is going to be sh- just shitting on him in those interviews because he's going to, he's going to be so angry and he's going to, it's going to be such built up frustration because Connor just keeps poking at him. And then maybe eventually he'll finally have a, he'll have enough and maybe they get into a little altercation yeah. where everyone separates them and then that's it. But I'm not sure he'll get in a back and forth verbal warfare type thing. Cause I don't really think strike Michael Chandler is that type of guy. It's right. either we're nice and respectful or we can scrap we're like, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Well, Poirier said the first fight with McGregor, like, you know, all of that, he got sucked into it, and it impacted him, uh, and he yeah. got outside himself, and, and he didn't take the bait the rest of the way. By the way, speaking of Poirier, uh, when, that, when that was announced, he said uh, something like, uh, glad my kids are going to be on tough. Yeah, because he, the, the, <laughs> both of those guys he finished, and it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> oh, Dustin Poirier, Mr. Nice Guy, like, you know, going all in on, on those two, which, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of beef, but he, he did have a little bit with both of those guys. Um. And, and, you know, to the point about what this fight actually looks like, it's a very winnable fight for Connor, right? In terms of, like, who he could match up with at 155, uh, it's a very winnable fight. I think it's an entertaining fight. Like, the one thing you can say about Michael Chandler, whether people believe he's championship caliber or not, like, he's as entertaining as anybody in the division. So, stylistically, this is going to be a fun fight and a very winnable fight. Yeah, definitely agree. I think that you know, with the rumors of it being Tony Ferguson, I almost think that would have been a little too easy. Like that just would have been a tune up fight, not to disrespect Tony, but he's at a point way past where he needs to be in his career right now. And I think Connor probably would have had his way with him. Um, I'm glad he didn't come back to a Gaethje or a Poirier, another Poirier fight, because I think that's a little bit out of his uh, range right now for, for, for Connor McGregor. Um, I think that Michael Chandler is a good medium to both of those. Uh, Chandler is uh, better than Tony. And he's obviously not good, not better than uh, Poirier and uh, Gaethje. And for McGregor, this is the perfect test for him to kind of get in, back into that lane. If you can beat a Michael Chandler, that puts you right back in the mix with all those guys. So 
uh, it's a stylistically, it's a great matchup for him because Chandler's a short guy, and Ch- and Conor McGregor does well against guys he's got reach against and and height over. So um, I, I see this, especially if this fight stays standing, I see this being a very very uh, stylistically pleasing match for Conor McGregor. Now, if if Chandler starts getting tagged and starts using his wrestling, we'll see what happens. But um, I think this is going to be a good, entertaining stand of war. Yeah, and look, Conor. I mean, Chandler's very explosive as an athlete. But Connor is so quick, right? And I, I would say Connor is much quicker than Poirier or Gaethje, right? Who and both of those guys were able to land on Chandler. Um, it, it should be fun, and you know, I, I think like the wrestling part of this, yes, like Chandler, I think will try to wrestle if he gets hurt. But like Michael Chandler knows what he asked for. Michael Chandler knows what this platform is. Michael Chandler has done nothing but try and be the UFC's golden boy. Like, the UFC doesn't want Michael Chandler, when the bell rings in this fight, to go try and take Conor McGregor down. He's going to strike. If he gets hurt, I think he, that's when he'll turn to wrestling. But this is going to be a stand-up war uh, until it, it comes to the point that I think he, he needs to bring the wrestling into the equation. I yeah. would be yeah, for a sure. million percent shocked if he were to try and wrestle Conor McGregor um, without being hurt. I'd be shocked. Yeah, if this was a title fight or a fight that gets him like the the a title shot or whatever, I think he he probably would just be like, I, I want to win this. But I think this right. is fight this fight is more for the fans. Um, we don't want to see a Conor McGregor fight be a you know I'm gonna grapple. You know, everyone wants to see a war uh, when Conor McGregor is at the top of the bill. So uh, Michael Chandler's always been a fan pleasing guy since he's been in the UFC. So I fully expect him to continue that. All right, let's talk about Saturday night. Will, I totally believed I was going to make it through the card. Enter the heavyweight fight on the main card featuring Marcin Tibera and um, Blagoy Ivanov. And uh, I I didn't even make it past their first round. I was out, and I had to watch the rest the next day. Yeah, uh, I I made it to the third round of that fight. Um, I knew that fight was going to go to a decision. Uh, I definitely didn't expect it to be overly entertaining, but uh, it, it was what it was. Uh, yeah, but I had to catch the last two fights uh, the next day. Um, I, you know, the the co-main event I could have I could have done without. <laughs> <laughs> I could have just read about that, but uh, the main event uh, was what it was. It was a quick first round, uh, first round fight. Um, man, Derek Lewis, he's he's coming on hard times, man, to say the least. Yeah. He's now lost three in a row. He's lost four of five. Derek Lewis in the main event loses to Sergey Spivak, which, uh, I mean, this was as dominant as it possibly gets, right? Spivak just had his way with Derek Lewis. Uh, you know, Derek Lewis, at least I appreciated that he went forward to, to begin this fight, but it didn't take long for Spivak to, to get him in his clutches and just ragdoll him basically for three minutes before he ultimately wins the fight. In terms of Derek Lewis and where he goes from here, I mean, he's still a giant name. He's still a very scary guy. Like, like I don't think he's a, a title guy. He's, he's obviously having lost four or five, not a top five guy. But he's such a big name. He's such a likable personality. And regardless how anybody feels about him, no matter who he's matched up against, he always has the nuclear option. So there's always that, like, chance with him. Um, I would hope that we don't see him in main event scenarios anymore. I do think there is something that's wired into your brain when you're a guy like Derek Lewis that just knows that there's a possibility you might have to go 25 minutes that, that just doesn't allow you in some way to unleash the same way that like a 15 minute fight would. Um, so I, I hope that maybe we don't see 
any more 25-minute fights for Derek Lewis. But I think there are still big fights for him. Uh, I, I, I hope that we see him back in the octagon. I don't think he necessarily needs to, like, recreate himself, right, or, or any of that stuff that we typically see when, like, a big name goes on a streak like this. Like, he is who he's always been. He's always been the guy that has the, the one-punch power to put you out and is not as skilled as most of the guys in terms of MMA as most of the guys that he's fighting against. And right now we're just looking at a lot of very young, talented heavyweights entering this division and, and finding a way past Eric Lewis. But I think there are good fights for him out there. In terms of what you want to see, where do you spin it forward for Derek Lewis? Uh, if I'm Derek Lewis, uh, I'm tired of fighting these guys who just want to take me down, which is going to be a majority of the heavyweight division. There's there's a few guys who will, who will strike, who are strikers, but I mean Sergey Spivak is gonna he's gonna try to pummel you like like he did. Um, Cyril Gunn is just a, it's a tough puzzle for anybody to figure out. So I mean, tied to Avasa and Sergey Pavlovich, those guys are are strikers, and we saw what we saw there. But for Derek Lewis spinning this forward, you want to give him more guys who are just gonna uh, strike with him. And two names for me that come to mind are Jarzino Rose and Strike, which we've talked about many times before. And then just a fight that would get him back on track. I think Derek Lewis versus Augusto Sakai, a guy who's fallen on hard times, who's um, who's a striker who's been getting taken down and, and beaten on himself. I think that's a fight Derek Lewis wins eight times out of ten. And uh, if Derek Lewis is locked in, I think he knocks out Augusto Sakai for sure. So those are the two that I would give for Derek Lewis. I I love the Rosen strike fight. If they just want to give him like a striker, like let's let's go big. Uh, one of these two guys is going to get a finish very early. You would assume. Uh, you can dip down, like you mentioned, with like a guy like Sakai and give him a very winnable fight to get him back on track. Or with, I mean, we've seen this a lot lately. We just saw it with Fedor, unfortunately, on Saturday. Uh, we saw it a couple weeks ago with uh, like Shogun. Derek Lewis is a massive name. And if, if the UFC feels like he's getting close to the end and you want to give somebody else some shine off of Derek Lewis' name, like to me, the route there would be Jelton Almeida. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting fight. I think that um, Derek Lewis is a big name that Jalton Almeida needs to kind of um, introduce himself uh, to the to the casual fan. I think you put that fight on a pay per view, like on uh, the Izzy card or uh, the Conor McGregor card. Like you have to make that fight happen when uh, when the world is watching. So because that's how Derek Lewis, you know, got his big break. I mean, he he got a big knockout on a Conor McGregor card. And then the post-fight interview was my balls was hot, and then from from there yeah. we had a we had a superstar. So I think you do something like that with Almeida. Uh, the 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 world is gonna know who Derek Lewis is. Have him fight against uh, uh, Jalton Almeida. Almeida's gonna go out there and he's gonna dominate, and then the world is gonna know who the, who Almeida is. So I think that fight makes a ton of sense. Uh, but if if I'm Derek Lewis, I don't take that fight. But if I'm if I'm Almeida, I'm calling for that fight uh, yeah. loud. Yeah, uh, I mean. Like, I also think I kind of want to see, like, what Almeida looks like against a guy that has the power threat of a Derek Lewis, right? Because he didn't really seem like he was too concerned about the power coming from Shamil Abdurakimov in that fight where he gets ultimately gets he did get hit, but he ultimately got to Shamil and ragdog ragdolled him, right? Like, I think he would if he gets to Derek Lewis, he's going to do the same thing. The question is, is he more careful against a guy like Derek Lewis, who, you know, is that dangerous with the with the power, or you know, do you see him pick more to get to the spot where he's going to go for the takedown? Like, 
I'm just curious the way that Almeida would approach a fight like that in terms of just knowing how much danger you're in because of the nuclear option. Yeah, if if I'm Almeida, I'm trying to get this fight to the ground. I mean, Shamil cracked him early on, and then uh, Almeida didn't want any parts of the of uh, of the feet after that. Just took him down and kind of had his way with him. Uh, I think Almeida should use kicks. I mean, we've seen we've seen flashes of his striking. I think if he uses kicks to set up the takedowns, that would be his best bet. Because if he just tries to take him down like Curtis Blades did, try to use feints. Derek Lewis is we've seen it before. He's good enough to time when you're going to come in and shoot at him. So, yeah, that's something that Derek Lewis should do more. I mean, that was such a perfect way to fight Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades did not know when to shoot. And then when, ultimately when he did, uh, Derek Lewis timed him perfect. Derek yeah. Lewis didn't go out there and do anything crazy. He kind of he was just labored back, relaxed. Um, he just kind of stayed in this little bubble. And then if Curtis Blades moved past a certain area, he was going to strike. So if Derek Lewis fought like that more, I feel like he would have more success. But... Uh, I do feel like some of these guys, like a Sergey Spivak uh, or like a Tai Tuivasa or a Sergey Pavlovich, who smother him, um, they weren't really concerned with his power. Now, a guy like Curtis Blades, who's still trying to develop his stand-up, is going to be uh, a little bit more labored back. We don't know how Jotun Almeida is in terms of how confident he is against a guy like Derek Lewis with his stand-up. So that's something we would have to see. But Derek should fight like that more. And... Almeida, it would be interesting to see how he would fight against someone like Derek, but I think that he should use kicks a lot to set up his takedowns. Yeah. Sign me up, though. I, I would be in for that fight. In terms of Spivak, where does he go? You know, I know that when you start looking at the rankings and, and what the options are, um, he does have the loss to, to Aspinall, who is currently, I believe, ranked number six in the heavyweight division. Spivak has now moved up to number eight. There is Volkov one spot ahead of him, but then when you look in the top five, um, you know, I, I, is Spivak a guy that they're ready to give a top five matchup to? I mean, in terms of matchmaking, I don't know. Like, would Curtis Blades take a Spivak fight? I feel like Curtis Blades thinks he's closer to the title than, like, the number six heavyweight. I would love to see that fight. That's probably the fight I would want to see the most for Spivak. Um, you know, the, the similarities in terms of grappling and all of that. But uh, I, I'm curious if the UFC would go the same route. Man, um, I, th I think that Blades is uh, going to fight Pavlovich next. I think uh, I, I heard an interview with him, and he talked about how Spie or, uh, how Pavlovich was ranked ahead of him, and uh, he didn't understand why, and that uh, he that's a fight that he would like to have. Um, I kinda, I'm kind of thinking that fight makes a lot of sense. In terms of Spivak, though, um, I don't know who it is that Volkov is fighting next. But I think maybe you give um, Spivak the winner of that. I think Volkov has got to fight against somebody, and I just can't think of who it is. But, Alexander um, Romanov. That's right. That's right. And uh, Spivak didn't fight Romanov last. That was Marcin Tybur. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So if, if it were me, if I was Spivak, I would be calling out the winner of that, especially if it's Volkov. I think that fight would make a, a ton of sense. Yeah. I... You know, Aspinall, again, I, he's probably the one I'm most interested to see what happens next with because I think he's got championship caliber ability. Obviously, he lost to Derek or to Curtis Blades. Uh, you know, part of that is the injury aspect. And, you know, I, I don't think that diminishes any part, of, any part of his forward momentum, at least for me. I would imagine the UFC doesn't feel that way either. So he's also going to get a big opportunity. And, you know, depending on which way they go with him, you know, Spivak is, is going to probably in some ways have to just kind of wait for the fallout. Because Aspinall, I mean, took care of Spivak, right? Like, that wasn't a fight yeah. where I think you could even entertain a rematch. 
Right. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, I think that Aspinall's right is still in there in the uh, in the title picture. I know he lost, quote unquote, to to uh, Curtis Blades, but that was the injury and the fight lasted all the 15 seconds. So um, I think he's still on that one fight away from being in the title picture or, you know, from a title fight type of guy. I think um, depending on when he gets back, maybe um, the winner, if, if Blades and, and Pavlovich fight, because look, the, the heavyweight title picture, it's John Jones, Cyril gone, and then Stipe is going to get the next shot. So if I'm Curtis Blades and uh, Sergey Pavlovich, you're probably going to have to fight one more anyway. So if I'm Tom Aspinall, that's the perfect opportunity for me to just slide in and to try to take uh, that person's ranking, whoever that may be, whether it's Blades or whether it's Pavlovich. So I think that's a perfect route for him. Just wait it out, and uh, when you get back, just kind of slide in there after one of those guys wins. All right, moving on. Uh, I don't know. You mentioned the co-main didn't do a lot for you. Uh, Devin Clark gets the the decision win. Uh, any takeaways from the co-main event? I mean, Devin Clark is inconsistent. I just didn't really know which guy that I would see. But Devin Clark at his best. This is the type of performance that you're going to get. Um, he used his his wrestling. And I thought uh, Daun Jung was going to knock him out, but he kind of negated all that with his with his clinches and with his strong wrestling. So it was a, it was a great performance, a performance that I knew he was capable of, but it's not a performance that he normally um, strings together many of them in a row. So I just wasn't sure what guy that we were going to get. But uh, good performance by him. Got the decision win. Uh, let's see if he can keep the the train rolling. Yeah, we both picked Tibura over Blagoy Ivanov, and and a lot of that was just I feel like Tibura is just in a different place in his career than Ivanov is uh he gets the decision when he's you know he's kind of one of those guys that is uh somewhat in heavy re- heavyweight ranking no man's land I feel like yeah because you know against the the ranked guys he's just kind of a step behind but um against the guys like uh Ivanov um and then, you know, credit to him, he did beat Alexander Romanov, a guy that people thought was going to be a future uh, contender. He did beat him, but he's just kind of at a spot where he's kind of a gatekeeper in a way. Um, he beats uh, he beats the Romanovs of the world, but and he'll beat um, Blagoy Ivanov and all that. But, uh, I mean, the rest of those guys, uh, it's tough to really gauge where he's at because he'll lose to Volkov, he'll lose to Aspinall. So he's kind of just at that gatekeeper spot right now. Yeah. We had the return of Duho Choi. He ends in a majority draw against Kyle Nelson. So two questions here. Number one, how did you score the fight without the the penalty? And did you think the headbutt was worth a point deduction? Well, I did not think the headbutt was worth the point deduction. And I had this fight scored for uh, for, for Duho Choi. Um, but I guess I understand it because the, if, if, the UF, or if the referees are trying to clean up penalties and all that stuff um you don't you you don't give a warning you just give the warnings in the locker room and when a foul happens you take the point yeah but i don't think that that was an intentional head but it was accidental it just kind of happened uh there was no um malicious intent with with it just seemed like it was just an accident so i, I kind of just i probably just would have separated them and let um kyle nelson recover but i wouldn't i wouldn't have taken a point yeah but I see why it happened. Like, my thing is, if you're going to make examples out of things like this, then are we just making an example out of Duho Choi, or are we going to make an example out of everyone who does this? Right? I just want consistency. Like, if we're going to call this, 
And every time this, we're trying to get it out of the sport, then it, like it needs a point deduction every time it happens. Don't pick and choose when you're going to take the point because just on the merits of it happening in this specific scenario, like it didn't look malicious. It didn't have an impact, right? Like if it would have landed in a way where it has an impact and and like Kyle Nelson is clearly in a different place than he would have been without that, then that's also a different, like it happened. It should have happened. Was it something that, that was going to change the fight in any way? I don't think so. Uh, so I, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone with the point deduction. I get why they did it, but I would just say, don't make do ho choy in one scenario the example and not do this consistently like if you're going to clean it up clean it up right yeah for sure but with that being said i think that this is going to be something that duho Choi was just an experiment on because you know i love me some john jones that's my guy but we know he's notorious for eye pokes and i'm sure at some point in the surreal gun fight especially with him being out for so long we may see an eye poke or two so on the first six, one are you gonna yeah. <laughs> or six on the first one are you gonna take a point or no so yeah, I think Duho Choi was just um, someone that they had that they had to make an example out of. Not had to, but you know yeah. they saw the opportunity and they took it. So it sucks, but Duho Choi did get his win bonus because Dana White thought that that was BS. So yeah. I guess it worked out. By the way, I scored at three zero or thirty twenty seven if you if you don't count the points. So even with the point deduction, I would have had him as the winner and not a not a draw because of the point deduction. Um, but it was it was a fun fight and uh, Duho Choi back in the octagon for the first time and. What was it, five years, four years? Yeah, four years. Four yeah. years, yeah. All right, the main card started with Adam Fugit and Yasuka Kinoshida. Well, this was one of the bigger upsets of the card. Adam Fugit uh, really had his way. Yeah, definitely had his way. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher uh, the the guy that he fought. So I'm going to butcher his name. Kinoshida. Uh, Kino, Kinoshida, yeah. Um, he was a minus, over minus 300 favorite. You know, there wasn't a lot of people who had... Uh, Adam Fugit having much of a chance, but he came out and really, like you said, had his way, uh, finished it with the TKO. So props to him, man. He looks like he could be a solid prospect because everyone had uh, Kinoshita as a as a yeah. future prospect, but uh, Adam Fugit seems like he's going to be that guy. In terms of the finale for some of these uh, Road to the UFC uh, tournaments, um, I thought Anshul Jubilee at 155 looked really good. Uh, but if I had one takeaway, Rinya Nakamura, yeah, who uh, was the bantamweight winner of Road to the U? I mean, go figure, bantamweights, right? Like yeah, every single right. fight card. What do I say? Death taxes and bantamweights. Of course, it was a bantamweight that uh, had that type of performance. But Nakamura looks like another guy to add to the mixture of 135ers that um, could potentially give us thrilling fights, and and maybe uh, is a guy to keep an eye on in terms of what his ceiling looks like. Yeah, and what's crazy is he got a big knockout like that, but he's a he's more of a wrestler. Yeah. Um. So the fact that he's able to get a knockout like that, that just shows a different layer to his game. I know he did it early, but that just shows he's got the power, and we know he's got the wrestling. So yeah, uh, bantamweight division just got a whole lot deeper with the with the addition of Nakamura. All right, let's make some picks for UFC 284 from Perth, Australia. By the way, this will be. Main card at uh, what five o'clock our time? Is that right? No, um, the the main card is going to be regular time. Okay, okay. I don't know if we were getting it uh, earlier. How that was ultimately going to shake out? Now, now, now the weigh-ins are and the and the presser is going to be all mixed up, but okay. the main card is going to be uh, American time. Okay. All right. So main card starts in the light heavyweight division. We have Australian Jimmy Crute and Alonzo. 
Minifield. Oddshark.com has Jimmy Crute as the minus 200 favorite, plus 170 for Alonzo Minifield. Man, I, I, I hate to uh, go strictly off of momentum, but I can't ignore what I've seen from Alonzo Minifield. This guy seems like he just really is putting it all together. Because um, he was he used to be one of those guys that was inconsistent. But I really feel like in his last couple of fights, he, he just seems to want it. Um, and this is a big test for him in terms of what his ceiling could be. Because Jimmy Crute, you know, a contender series guy who... He's, he's fallen on hard times, but he's kind of proven over his over his UFC run that he's pretty solid. Um, I think it's just going to depend on if Lonzo Minifield can get to him in terms of knocking him out before Jimmy Crook can get this fight to the ground and tire him out. Um, but, you know, even with that, Lonzo Minifield has kind of looked like a, a, a solid guy on the ground. So, um, man. I, man. I kind of like uh, Minifield right here, man. Um, I know Jimmy Crute is a is a prospect. He's young, but Minifield is a is a tank of a man, and he seems like he's on a mission. So I'm gonna roll the dice here and pick Elijah okay. Minifield. I like it. I I I had a slight lean in this, and this was probably for me the toughest fight to pick. I had a slight lean to to Crute in the matchup, but this was I've gone back and forth. Uh, to your point about momentum, I mean, Alonzo Minifield just feels like he's kind of like, it's like that light bulb moment that people have, right? Like where they're they're struggling through something and then all of a sudden like the light bulb turns on and they put the puzzle pieces together and kind of figure it out. On top of the fact that it just looks like there is now a level of urgency, right, that he's fighting with. Like there's a level of desire to achieve something higher than I feel like has been there. And that's just kind of like a, I don't know, body language type of observation, um, Jimmy Crute is a guy that, you know, has been viewed as somebody with a very high ceiling. I do think he's much more well-rounded than Alonzo Minifield, but he's back-to-back losses. He had the weird leg injury to, to Anthony Smith, right? Um, and then he catches, or Jamal Hill catches him, like, basically as soon as the fight starts, and Jamal Hill's now the 205 champ. Um, he's not been in the octagon since 2021. Um, this is an interesting one. I, I, Jimmy Crute probably has more urgency to win this fight. A little bit more well-rounded. I do like the momentum that Minifield has. Um, strictly on the fact that you win Minifield, I will go Jimmy Crute to be on the opposite side. Again, I had a slight lean that way anyway, but this was I was really torn on this fight. All right, heavyweight division. We have Justin Taffa and Parker Porter. Oddshark.com has Taffa as the slight minus 138 favorite, plus 110 for Parker Porter. I don't know why I always want to say Porter Parker. <laughs> it, it just kind of just Every time. sounds better. You know, it, it seems like it's just, it, it should be that way, but I don't know. Like Parker Porter, Porter, like Parker sounds like more of a last name and Porter sounds like more of a first name, I guess. So yeah, it makes sense. Uh, in terms of this fight though, uh, I, I feel like most of the, of the money here is going on Justin Taffa just because of the, uh, the home that he's at home. So I feel like that's why he's the favorite, but I kind of like Parker Porter in this matchup. Uh, I'm not very high on Justin Taffa. Uh, I'm not very high on Parker Porter either, for that matter. But I think from what I've seen from both of them, I think I kind of like where Parker Porter is just a, a slight bit more. So I'm going to go with uh, Parker Porter. Part of me wants to say Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, they've both fought like relatively similar competition, right? And I think Parker Porter 
has uh, has looked better against relatively similar competition. Um, I will go. I will go Tafa in front of the home crowd to get put over the top. Um, it's a close matchup. Again, I think I think Parker's looked better against the similar level of guys. Uh, but yeah, give me uh, give me Tafa in front of his home crowd. All right, fight number three on the main card. This one, I think, stylistically, Will, has the chance to be as fun a matchup as any fight on the card. In the welterweight division, we have Randy Brown and Jack Della Maddalena. Oddshark.com has Jack Della Maddalena as the minus 334 favorite, plus 250 for Randy Brown. Man, I, I'm surprised that Randy Brown is such an underdog in this. I thought the odds would be a little closer. Uh, I feel like Jack hasn't fought someone like Randy Brown, someone who is long, very long for the division. He's going to have a reach and a height uh, advantage over Jack. Uh, and he's got the experience. I mean, Randy Brown is a guy who's uh, only lost to the best of the best at 170. Uh, Vicente Luque he's lost to. He's lost to... Um, Bilal. Uh, Bilal. Yeah, but he lost to Bilal Muhammad. So, like, Nico, only the top... Nico Price? Yeah, he lost to Nico Price in a crazy yeah. fight that he was winning. But, I mean, only the best of the best. So... Um, we'll find out if Jack Della Maddalena is the best, one of the best. It seems like he's on that trajectory. Uh, he's a prospect who hasn't really had much of a um, problem fighting in the octagon thus far. And, you know, normally in a matchup like this, I would go with experience, but I feel like Jack, Jack Della has really proven that he's a, a really solid prospect in this division. So I'm going to go ahead and pick him. Uh, but I think he'll face some adversity because Randy Brown is a tricky puzzle. Yeah. He's long. Uh, like you said, I wonder how much of the odds here will go back to that Randy Brown Trinaldo fight that was very disappointing. I think in terms of like giving Randy Brown an opportunity to take that next step, which really wasn't capitalized on. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense because Randy Brown should have had his way with Francisco, who was who's forty five or something like that, and was at a huge size disadvantage. But it just kind of seemed like Randy Brown Randy Brown played it safe. Yeah. If I'm Randy Brown in this fight, I'm kind of just, you know, trying to have fun with it. You know, th this isn't a must win. Everyone expects me to lose anyway. So why don't I go out there and, and make it fun, take some chances? Uh, if I'm Jack, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, he's he's got to make a statement with this one if he wants to really get into the upper echelon of the division. Uh, I, I don't even think Jack is ranked right now. But I think with a win like this, he probably will get into like the top 10 maybe. So, I mean, we'll see. But uh, I know that the UFC is really high on on, on Jack. So we'll see what happens. I remember watching his contender series fight and I was like, whoa, that guy just has like that switch in his brain. That's slightly different, right? With the way that he fights, he he's three, and zero in the UFC, all first round finishes. Um, he fights with a violence, right? Like there's, you know, it's a violent sport. And in a violent sport, when you can pick out the guys that seem to be on the, the more violent end of the spectrum, like that's Jack Della Maddalena, Randy Brown can't, I think be as as uh, as safe in this fight as he was in the Trinaldo fight because Jack Della Maddalena is a violent guy and he's going to bring the fight to Randy Brown. Um, you know the length is is interesting here and how much he uses that to maybe prevent Jack Della Maddalena to just getting on him. But ultimately, like I, I just feel like Jack Della Maddalena has that gear uh, that he's going to to get to, and that it's kind of what makes him special. Like he just he has that that it in him where he's just ready to go fight and take somebody's head off. Uh, and I think that is the difference in this fight. So Jack Della Maddalena for me in this uh, welterweight matchup. 
All right, co-main event, we have an interim title on the line for the interim featherweight championship of the world. It is Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett. Oddshark.com has Yair Rodriguez at minus 163, plus 137 for Josh Emmett. Yeah, so I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. Uh, I think Josh Emmett gets pretty disrespected as a championship caliber fighter uh, because he's not much of a superstar. Um, but I think that we kind of forget like the the route that he's been on. He's kind of been uh, pretty flawless in the UFC outside of you know Jeremy Stevens knocking him unconscious, <laughs> and I think he had a, um, a loss pretty early on in his UFC career, but. As of late, he's really uh, come, coming to his own. I mean, I remember he, we all remember that Shane Burgos fight where he fought with a torn, his leg was completely torn up, uh, comes back and he beats Dan Ige, then he comes back and he uh, beats Calvin Cater. Uh, I think that where this fight kind of gets really interesting is Jair Rodriguez, his length, his kicks, his um, creativeness, explosiveness. I don't think Josh Shimon has fought uh, anyone like that. I mean, Shane Burgos would be the closest thing, but like Shane Burgos didn't have kicks like that. Like Shane Burgos is just going to come in there and brawl with you. Yeah. I think that Yaya Rodriguez, um, is his kicks and this, the speed. I think that that's something that's really going to give Josh Emmett some problems. But on the flip side, if Josh Emmett can get this fight to the ground to control him, that's, um, that's his path to victory. And I think as this fight gets into the, the, the later stages, I think it favors Josh Emmett, but, I just wonder if it's going to get there because Yair Rodriguez, his um, his kicks. I mean, the I I for the first time, I mean, I've seen Max Holloway fight many times. The the only time I was scared that Max Holloway was going to get knocked out was against Yair Rodriguez. The the punches, the kicks, like everything was just so fast. And even a guy like Max Holloway, who's primarily a stand up guy, yeah. was was using his wrestling. So, but Josh Emmett is a very good wrestler, but he'll be at a a, a size disadvantage. Uh, a height and a reach disadvantage. Um, so with all that being said, man, I, th- I think it just comes down to if uh, if this fight ends early, it's going to be Yair's. But if this fight goes into the championship rounds, it'll be uh, Josh Emmett. Because I think if it does get into the championship rounds, it'll be because Josh Emmett has been using his wrestling. Um, I'm kind of on the side of Yair Rodriguez here. Uh, I'm just going to roll the dice and say it'll be Yair's night here. Very torn, man. This was... The easiest fight for me to pick on the card. Really? I was pretty torn, man. Yeah. Easiest for all fight, the reasons I laid out. Easiest fight for me to pick on the card. And that's just because I, I, I like both of these guys. I think both guys are deserving to be in this scenario. I did feel like Arnold Allen was probably the most deserving of one of the two spots, and then it probably should have been a conversation of which of these two deserve the other spot. That said, I think they were both deserving of, of being in that conversation. Styles make fights, right? Like, that's what we always talk about. Like, what is a great matchup for one guy? I mean, might be a horrible matchup for for another guy. I think Yair Rodriguez is a matchup nightmare for Josh Emmett. I think, you know, Josh Emmett has the ability to land a big shot and and win the fight that way. To your point about being on the ground, I think there's the, the, the path to victory there. I, can he even get the fight there? I mean, first of all, the length. For Yair Rodriguez is going to be a major advantage, but to the point you made, the quickness level here for Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett to me is worlds apart. Like I, I think this is going to be very problematic for Josh Emmett. Um, when you have a guy that has that much length and is that much quicker, and like go back to like that Burgos fight was fun, but that was a brawl. 
right? Mm-hmm. Even the Dan Ige fight, like to some degree, there were those those brawling type exchanges. Um, I you know Josh Emmett isn't like a a tactician type of guy. He certainly doesn't have the quickness to match up. He's at a length disadvantage. Like I think Yair is on the feet, just going to to pick him apart. Um, the max fight from Yair was, to your point, so like. It's a very rare thing that you can watch a guy lose a fight and feel like he gained as much momentum as can be gained, right, in, in the entire scenario. Um, I, I, this, is, to me, is all Yaya Rodriguez. I think he's just a, a giant matchup problem. I also wonder if Josh Emmett's legs will survive or for how long Josh Emmett's legs will survive. Like, part of me thinks even if this fight does go late, will Josh Emmett still have the legs to be able to do anything late in this fight? Um, this is going to be a Yair Rodriguez finish for me. Yeah. Um, see, even, even with that, I still want to give Josh Emmett, you know, the, the proper respect, not saying that you weren't, but just like, yeah, I feel like he's a, even though he's, he's a, I think he's a live dog here. I think his power is a, is going to be a factor. It could be a factor, I should say. And then the wrestling could be a factor. Yeah. If he can get to him, if, if Yaya Rodriguez makes a mistake and tries to do something crazy with the spinning yeah. 360 shit that he does, I mean, Josh Emmett could, you could uh, turn that against him and take him down. Uh, but for all the reasons you said, I mean, that's why I think Yaya is going to, is going to win because the length is such a problem and the speed of his kicks, the speed of his punches is something that Josh Emmett just hasn't seen yet. But Josh Emmett could, could definitely win this fight. Um, I, I just feel like he's been so disrespected by the UFC <laughs> up to this point yeah. that I wanted to give him some love. But yeah, this is a tough, tough matchup for him for sure. I think he's a very underrated fighter. I think he's very undervalued. All that's, st- I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I just think like this specific matchup for him is not a good one, or at least the way that I perceive it is not a good one. Um, but again, he has the like he has the power to land a big shot that could be a game changer in this, and there are paths to victory. I just I feel like it's going to take something special or a giant mistake from Yair to open up those those avenues. Um, so yeah, and also just while we're on this topic, I thought Calvin Cater beat him. I mean, if we're being honest and go yeah, back to his uh, last fight, yeah. like I, I scored that fight for Calvin Cater. I thought that Cater. Gate kind of allowed the the judges like Cater could have done more to seal the victory. I felt like he took his foot off the gas and allowed the judges to to even debate some of those rounds. But I did think that that he was the better guy as well. And I don't think he's as quick as Yair, but you did see the reach advantage. You did see, you know, in, in terms of striking, um, he is more of a um, of a you know assassin type like Yair is as opposed to to you know just getting into a brawl like Josh Emmett is. So. I don't know, man. It'll be a, it'll be a, a fun fight, and uh, yeah, give me your yeah your Rodriguez. Um, and this, I the odds to me were maybe the most shocking of any fight on this card. All right, the main event, as we talked about for the uh, majority of the first, I don't know, twenty minutes of this podcast, <laughs> pound for pound, number one in the world, pound for pound, number two in the world, the one forty five champ versus the one fifty five champ for the one fifty five belt. It is Alexander Volkanovsky and Islam Makashev. Oddshark.com has Islam as the minus 400 favorite, plus 300 for Volk. I think the odds are very disrespectful to Volk. I think Daniel Cormier is very disrespectful to Volk, saying that if Volk were to win, this is the biggest upset in UFC history. Um, I think that Volk has a good chance to win this fight. Um, I think his footwork is going to present Islam some problems. I think if Islam does get him down, it's not going to be as easy uh, to keep him down. I think Volk did 
I think he gained weight the proper way. Like uh, Max Holloway, when he went up, just didn't cut weight. He was he went in there as he would as a featherweight, just like Izzy did. I think Alexander did it right. He went up and actually bulked up to a good weight and is going to cut weight to lightweight. So he's going to be strong. Um, I think on the feet, uh, I think his pace and his speed is, is going to be something that Islam hasn't seen yet. I think the question come the question for me it comes down to uh, when Islam does get a hold of him is is Islam going to be that strong to where Volk can't do anything about it, or is Volk going to uh, find a way to keep this fight standing and to put that pace on him and use his footwork and his speed and his striking to make it tough on Islam? Um, I just think here's how I see this fight going. I see this fight. I think Volk is going to give a tremendous effort. I think we're going to see things that we're going to see Islam face adversity that he hasn't seen before. I think uh, Volk is going to stuff some takedowns. I think he's going to get up. But I think there's just going to be one exchange, one scramble where Islam's going to get the better of him. And then once Islam gets a, wraps up a submission uh, with that grip strength that those uh, Dagestani guys have, I think that is going to spell the end. And I think Islam wins this by submission. But I will say this. I am pulling fully for Alexander Volkanovski in this fight. I truly hope he wins uh, this lightweight title because he deserves it. He's he's done this sport the right way. Uh, he wants to be active. He's defended the title at featherweight. He's beaten everybody. Um, I, Volk has all my respect, and I hope he wins. I just think that uh, Islam, um, at, at some point in this fight, he's going to get him uh, in, a, in a position where Volk can't get out, and he'll uh, end this fight. So, unfortunately, my pick is Islam Makhachev. Am I crazy to think that I have a hard time seeing what a what an Islam win by decision looks like? No, because well, for one, I don't. I think that Islam, if he were to win, it would be by it would be by finish. Agreed. But there, I think there is a um, a path. I guess I could say to where Islam is being so dominant, but he just can't finish Volk. But he's banking the rounds because he's so dominant. Yeah. That's the I, only that's I guess the only way. But I, like, I just not look at it as better. yeah. I just look at it as I don't think he's gonna win rounds on the feet. No. And I do think he has the power if he connects to, you know, hurt Volk, but I don't think he's just going to on the feet outpoint Volk in terms of if this were to go to decision win rounds that way. If we're talking about him winning three at least three of the five on the ground, I have a hard time seeing him have control on the ground for the majority of the round to the point that he's going to win the round and at least three times in those opportunities, not getting the finish like that. To, I just, I don't see that happening. If he's got Volk on the ground that much, like I feel like the fight's going to be finished. Volk would, would shock the hell out of me. If his ground defense is good enough to survive <laughs> being on the ground that many times in that many rounds yeah. for that period of time. Like I just, yeah. I don't see it. So like my path to victory in terms of, of uh, Islam is finished. I just don't see how, what a what a decision win would look like. Now, to me, what, the interesting part of this fight is what happens on the feet, and what leads us to the point where they're you know they're grabbing each other, they're grappling, they they go to the ground, like to the point that it goes to the ground. I, I feel like I fully know how that's going to go. Yeah. What happens in terms of getting there? I, I think that Volk is strong enough to hold his own in terms of like the clinch positions. Now. I think we all agree Volk has really good takedown defense. Does he have really good takedown defense against non-wrestling featherweights? 
or does he have really good takedown defense against the best grappler at 155? Like, I, I don't know. I, his takedown defense is phenomenal. But have, have we seen that used in anything that it can even be closely related to trying to prevent a takedown from Islam? I mean, Chad Mendez is probably the, the best comparison, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if you... I went back and I watched that fight, and um, Mendez did get him down. And I'm yeah. thinking, if, if this is Islam, this is not... This is not a good recipe, but I was very impressed with how Volk put that pace on him. By the time the third round came, uh, Chad Mendez was spent. Yeah. So I think that's something that could play a factor. If uh, because like once I'll say this, when Mendez did get him down, Volk got right back up. Now, if this is Volk, I mean, if this is Islam, it may be a different story. We'll have to see. But um, and this is at featherweight, so Volk will probably be stronger. Yeah. There's just so many questions, but. Uh, I do think if uh, I do think that at first early uh, Volk will be will get back up, but I think it, over time there's just going to become there's just going to come a time when Islam gets him in, at a point where he just can't get back up. Yeah. Now in terms of like the actual on the feet striking exchanges uh, before it gets to the point that like Islam maybe shoots in or or they get against the cage and and are in the clinch, Volk's quickness to me is going to be a problem here. I don't know that I feel like I just see Volk like hurting Islam over and over on the feet. I don't think that he would open up enough to make that, but I think he could accumulate a bunch of points in this fight um, and just, you know, a strike here, a strike there. But in terms of like putting it on him, like I think you have to be so reserved because of the takedown that, um, you know, does, does that open the door for Islam also to maybe land big shots? Um, yeah, this is a, I, this is a really interesting fight. I, I, there's a, in a lot of ways, I'm just curious to see Volk match up, at, but it's like it's not like because we don't know that he can't. Like he's fought at welterweight for crying out loud. We he's just not fought welterweights and lightweights that are this class, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the thing. And everything that we've seen from him at 145 is against you know much lighter guys that aren't gonna have nearly the same power. So is he the same elite guy? I think he can do, I think he can still fight at a high level at 155. Is he just the same elite guy in all those areas that we see at 145 at 155 against a caliber guy like Islam? Like I think against a bunch of 155ers, Volk is good fight. Like it's, he probably wins a bunch of them just mm -hmm. against this level of guy. Is it the same thing? Um, I think this fight's going to go to the ground at some point, if not multiple times. And to me, the just giant difference here is, is Islam's ground game, which, uh, to me is is where it ends. It's going to be Islam Makashev, your future number one pound for pound, one fifty five champion. And I will go. I'll go finish because, like I said at the beginning, I just don't see. I don't. I just don't. I have a hard time seeing what an Islam decision win looks like. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be an Islam finish, probably by submission. I don't think he was going to knock out uh, Volk. I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Islam does get get a hold of him, uh, whether he's trying to set up traps on the feet, if whether he gets him to the cage. I think Volk is, has drilled so much. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I respect his IQ so much. I respect his championship DNA so much that it is by not by any means is this going to be e easy for Islam. I, I think uh, at first, Islam is going to be trying to get this fight to the ground. He's going to be trying to clinch with them. Uh, but Volkanovski is going to be elusive. He's going to be. We're going to see areas of strength for for Volk, and he's going to make. He's going to try to make Islam pay every time he he does shoot in for a takedown. I just think over time, yeah. uh, he won't be able to uh, keep Islam off of him. So, but yeah, I, I really hope Volk wins. But I, I just don't see how he keeps yeah. uh, Islam off of him for the entire twenty five minutes. On the flip side of the fight, 
I think I think there is a path for Volk to win by decision. Yes. Volk is not knocking out 145ers, right? Like he's he's not just landing big shots and and KOing featherweight. So I have a hard time seeing where he's going to KO Islam. But here's the here's another thing. We saw this work in Charles Oliveira's favor. Like let's just say that he does hurt Islam. Like you can't really go jump on top of him, can you? I mean, similar to like Charles getting hurt in some of those fights, like guys don't want to jump on top of him because you're putting yourself in the danger zone. So it somewhat allows him to recover when you do have a big moment. Uh, so if, if Volk does hurt Islam and drops him, you, you don't want to, you, you probably don't want to jump on top and try to capitalize, which is another fascinating dynamic of this whole thing. Like the last three title fights that we've seen, um, we've seen like Charles get knocked down. Guys don't want to jump on him. But also, in the last three title fights, the submission has also been set up by a big shot dropping the other guy, and then you jump on and get the ground finish. Well, I'll say this. I mean, Charles is, like, off his back. The The, yeah. submission, the submission threat off his back is 10 out of 10. The danger factor For is there. For sure. I don't, I don't think we've seen – it might be the same, but we've rarely – I don't think, if at all, we've seen Islam off his back. And – is Islam going to be throwing up triangles and arm bars from his back? We don't know. I kind of think I'm kind of not sure, but I think Volk is going to find out. I, I think if really? Volk does okay. have him hurt, yeah, I think if Volk has him hurt, I, I think he he'd go down there and try to finish him. Interesting. Okay, I I don't see it. I, I, your point is valid in terms of Islam being on his back. I just think he's such a and skilled hurt. and hurt. Yeah, he's such a skilled wrestler to jump on top of him on the ground. To me, just it, it opens up such a giant path for him to completely turn the fight. Yeah, that's true. Because once mean, he gets a hold of you, but that that's that, that's just me thinking. Yeah, Islam is is hurt. The cobwebs aren't haven't came back yet. You know, so that that's my that's my thinking. But I think if if Volk does have him hurt enough that he tests it out. But I mean, yeah. it's it just depends on how hurt he is. A lot of times, though, you can be hurt and just have at least enough enough to just hold on, right? And if Volk jumps on top of him and he has enough to just hold on long enough to clear the cobwebs, now the fight is where you want it to be. And, you know, your, your wrestling, I think, ultimately gets you in a really good position. Yeah, that that's definitely true. I mean, that, that's another layer to this. I mean, yeah. I, I just don't know how this fight's going to go, but yeah, I don't know, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. We'll have to see. It's going to be a fun one. But we are both on the side of Islam Makashev in the main event of UFC 284. All right, buddy. It was a good one. We will do it again. What is our main event next week? I know this. Don't tell me. Um, next week is the 18th. Oh, Taya Santos and Aaron Blanchfield. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because they. I, I knew they, they reshuffled, and I was trying to mm -hmm. remember what they – because it was going to be the um, – San Corey Hagen Sanhagen Cheeto, fight. Cheeto mm -hmm. fight. I knew they reshuffled, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, Talia Santos, Aaron Blanchfield. It's going to be a fun one. So we'll that, talk that's all a about that on Tuesday. That's a phenomenal fight, but the rest of that card, oh. ouch, is all I got to say. But yeah. we'll, we will talk about it in full next yeah. week. All right, my friend. Have a good week. We'll talk again on Saturday. UFC 284 is imminent. All right, my brother. Have a good one.